Hello and welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson. This is our question of the week episode for the week. And rather than have the usual back and forth between myself and Aaron Miller, my usual co-host, this week we have a guest, as we've done a few times before. This is actually something that we hope to do more of going forward as well, bringing in expertise from others that may go deeper on topics that we could cover, but where we wouldn't do them justice, perhaps. And so in this particular case, I'm very pleased that our guest is Mary Jo Foley, who covers Microsoft at ZDNet, among other places. She's been covering Microsoft for over 20 years, pretty much exclusively, and was a tech reporter before that as well. So one of the voices and reporters that I respect the most when it comes to coverage of Microsoft. She's done a fantastic job over the years of covering Microsoft as a company. A lot of the detailed announcements often has insights and sort of scoops into what's going on at Microsoft before news publicly breaks. And so I'm very grateful that she's consented to join us on the podcast this week. And she and I had a conversation about culture at Microsoft, how that's changing over time, the other transitions that Microsoft's going through, how real those are and what the evidence is of some of those things. And we also also talked about a couple of the uh, things that are in the news recently with regard to Microsoft, including layoffs a few weeks back in the sales team and then the uh, consumer reports uh, s- uh, saga, if you like, around the Microsoft Surface devices and, and everything that's happened there over the last couple of weeks. So I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Mary Jo. Uh, I'll let you listen to that interview and then I'll be back for a few seconds just at the end. Well, thanks very much for joining us, Mary Jo. Really appreciate it today. I'm looking forward to having a, a good conversation about Microsoft. Uh, I'd love to start out just talking about your background a little bit, kind of how you got to where you are today. I know you've been covering Microsoft for a long time, but I'd love to just get a little bit of background on how you got to where you are today and then kind of what you're doing, kind of what you spend your time doing these days as well. Sure. And thanks again for having me on. Um, so I've been a tech reporter for more than 30 years. And for about the last 20, I've focused pretty much exclusively on covering Microsoft. Um, I've covered Microsoft on and off since the mid-80s. The very first time I interviewed Bill Gates was 1984. And um, since then, I just have found the company very interesting and have had the opportunity to really drill down on it exclusively in different positions at different sites and different publications. Right now, my day job is um, even though I'm self-employed, my main client is ZDNet, and I do a blog about Microsoft there called All About Microsoft. So my day job is basically looking around, digging up information on any part of the company that might be of interest to a very wide cross-section of people. My readers are everybody from Microsoft employees to Microsoft customers, partners, Wall Street analysts. So I have to kind of find the least common denominator and write something that everybody can take something away from. Right. Okay. And do you have a particular focus? I mean, you're covering Microsoft as a company. There are obviously sites like The Verge out there that kind of do the product stuff from a consumer Mm -hmm. perspective uh, and others that cover different parts of Microsoft. But uh, do you have a particular focus? So you, do you see yourself as being sort of more B2B focused, more focused on sort of the enterprise stuff, or do you try to cover the whole gamut? I try to cover the whole gamut, although the one part of the company I don't really look that deeply at is gaming. Um, I cover right. it kind of tangentially, but my main audience on ZDNet is business people of all sizes, so small and mid-sized businesses and enterprises. So I tend to focus more on the business products and business strategy than I do on things like gaming and the consumer stuff. But because the consumer stuff is so wrapped up in what they're doing with the enterprise stuff, especially in in Windows, I do touch on that occasionally. 
Yeah, I found in covering Microsoft, I mean, it still feels like a company that generates the bulk of its revenue from the business side, enterprise products and so on. But at the same time, a lot of the products are essentially the same or they're the same at the core. So whether that's Windows or Office or whatever, those products obviously serve both markets and you can't really strip away one side without sort of stripping away the other as well. You kind of have right. to look at the totality of it. You do. You do. Yeah. Okay, well, I'd love to talk first of all about your overall take on Microsoft. And I think you know, over the last few years since uh, Steve Ballmer left and Satya Nadella took over, there's been a lot of talk sort of externally and even from Microsoft, it, I think it, it's pushed this narrative itself about a company that's in transition, a company that's seen a cultural change during that time, a company that perhaps uh, sees its revenue coming from different places. Clearly, cloud is a big thing. Um, you know, every earnings press release for the last eight quarters has basically had the same title with the <laughs> earnings uh, quarter taken out, um, but talk, sort of talks about cloud strength highlighting the results. Um, so that's clearly a big theme for them. But um, I'd love to get your take. You know, is that change real? Kind of what are the changes that are taking place at Microsoft right now? Is the cultural change that's been talked about, particularly in the context of Satya Nadella coming in, uh, real? And kind of what evidence are you seeing of that? Um, so I think since Satya Nadella came in as CEO in 2014, around February, um, there has been a definite change in what's happening at Microsoft in terms of how the company is run, what their priorities are, um, how employees work and are rewarded and compensated and a lot of different areas. So I think there is definitely a real change. And one of the ways I would judge how real this change is is in how many people who left uh, the company under Balmer ended up coming back to work at Microsoft. Mm, yeah. A lot of them talk about, you know, I think they've really changed. Like I was skeptical. I didn't think they were really going to change. But now that I see how the companies turn the corner on views about things like open source and partnering with competitors, um, even, even to the extent of letting people try projects that fail fast and then they don't get fired because it failed. All of these things, I think, have made Microsoft a different, very different place than it was even just five years ago. Um, but I, I will point out, and I've said this before, um, a lot of these changes were beginning to happen under Balmer at the end of his tenure. I think he finally did see the writing on the wall that the world had changed and Microsoft needed to change to stay um, competitive and interesting, uh, interesting in partnerships and all that. So some of these things did begin under him, but Nadella has really fostered and encouraged the kind of environment where they've flourished, I would say. Right, okay. And do, is that true for sort of big product changes too? So, I mean, the Surface was obviously released before Balmer left, um, and Office on the iPad, that project was started before he left. But it feels like these are examples of things that um, kind of were started under Balmer and, as you say, seem to have flourished or even taken on a new meaning or a new life under Nadella. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. Um, we, there were some layoffs in the last few weeks in the sales team at Microsoft. Um, they, there have been several rounds of them. They seem to kind of mostly do those in sort of the May time frame, I think perhaps to get it in before the end of the fiscal year, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of mid-year. But what's your take on those? Are those significant? Kind of what do they signify um, you know, is that a bad sign? Is that a good sign? Is this just sort of an inevitable outgrowth of the fact that the company is going through these big transitions at the moment? 
Um, so the latest round of layoffs, which were somewhere in the range of several thousand, we don't know exactly how many people were cut, um, was were mostly about realigning the sales force to match what was going on with the rest of the company. At the very beginning of this year, Microsoft had done a pretty major reorg of their partner and sales organization in the wake of Kevin Turner, who was the former COO, departing last year. Um, so they really shifted a lot of things around early in the year. And then they didn't actually implement a lot of those changes or begin implementing them until the start of their new fiscal year, which was July 1 this year. Hmm. So that's what those layoffs were about. It was going in, looking at how they've been selling um, through their partner organization, their direct sales, their services organization, and trying to figure out how, with their emphasis now on the cloud, they should be selling. So they, you know, the, the joke among us Microsoft reporters is they digitally transform themselves, basically. Right. And the result yeah. was a lot of people got cut uh, because they were organized in a way where the, where the emphasis was still on selling software. It was on um, how many units of something you could sell instead of how many units were customers using. And so they were trying to write that mix with what they did in the latest reorg. Right. Okay. Got it. And so this is part of the broader sort of cloud transition that's going on within the company, this shift away from sort of packaged software towards cloud services and so on. Yes, for sure. And and they're looking for a different kind of salesperson now at Microsoft. I think somebody who's a little more technical, who's more comfortable developing uh, alongside customers and not just going in and trying to sell something to them and and letting them kind of worry about implementing things themselves. Mm. Yeah, okay, that's a, a subtle shift, but a pretty important one. Feels very much kind of in keeping with a lot of other companies, I think, that serve the enterprise space have gone through that transition over the, lo the last few years and more sort of consultative selling, more solution selling, more kind of selling a complete package rather than just selling something off the shelf and dressing it up as a package. Right, and it, there's another kind of interesting a subtle change that they've made. Um, in the past, I feel like they would go out and they would say to a customer, we want you to just go Microsoft end-to-end, -end, right? We want to sell you mm. everything from us, like whether it's your cloud options, whether it's your services, your software, whatever. We think the way this will all work best is if you stay in the silo of Microsoft. And that, they don't really do that now. They'll go to a customer and say, you know what, you've got, okay, you've got Salesforce. We have a CRM product too. But, you know, if you don't want to change to it, here's how you could integrate Salesforce in with Office 365. So right. that's... That's also a change that they're making, and not all of the people who were their sales force were comfortable with that change. Mm, yeah, yeah. But that, and is that something that you think was changing under Obama before Nadella took over? Or is that something that Nadella's really kind of brought in that sort of, um, I guess, ecumenical or agnostic approach to, to this whole question? I think it's definitely much more um, Nadella's MO than it was Balmer. Balmer was more of a cutthroat sales guy himself, Mm -hmm. Nadella is more like, hey, if we can partner, let's partner. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's definitely a difference in um, having interviewed both of them. The difference in kind of just personality and right. the and the way the industry was when both of them became the CEOs. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, do you sense that that's working for them? I mean, do you sense there's been a change that customers are kind of starting to see Microsoft differently because of these changes that they're making, that it's actually helping them to sell more effectively, despite, you know, perhaps pulling back from some of the more aggressive sort of Microsoft first approach they might have taken in the past? I do. I think if it's taken 
a couple of years for people to believe it's real. Um, mm -hmm. right. You know, when Microsoft first was were saying things like, hey, we're going to put most of the Windows code base on GitHub, people were like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. wait a minute. I, like, are they being serious? Is this April Fool's? Like, what's going on here, right? And I think now that they're doing more deals and partnerships with people like Adobe and um, Red Hat, you know, like they're, they're doing deals with people who in the past their customers wouldn't have expected them to do any kind of a deal with. So now, now that those things are kind of shaking out and we're seeing, um, you know, deliverables from some of those partnerships, I think people are like, oh, wait, maybe they are really like being serious about some of these approaches they're taking. So I think, I think it is opening the doors for them in some sales where in the past, because of their insistence on it being all Microsoft, they were closed out. Right. Yeah. Okay. How far do you think we are through this transition? I mean, there's the, the cloud transition that's sort of more product-centric. There's the cultural transition that we've talked about, the sort of openness to partnering, open sourcing, even code, um, and all the rest of this stuff, the way that people are managed and compensated internally. Kind of where do you think we are in that transition? Are we at the end of it? Are we at the beginning of it? Are we somewhere in the middle at this point? I think we're, um, if I was looking at it as a human life, kind of in the teenage years okay. of it. Um, yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot more to happen still, um, but I think I think we're past the infancy of of this transition. Like I think it's really starting to click. Um, there, the kinds of people who are joining Microsoft now have different expectations when they're coming into the company, and there are still a lot of old guard people at Microsoft who are still there, um, who may you know in the next decade or so either retire, move on. You know, uh, there are people there inside the company who don't agree with the changes that are being made. And mm -hmm. um, I think as those people start to shift out and a younger workforce continues to come into Microsoft who you know aren't necessarily scarred by things like Microsoft and the DOJ trial, um, right. like some of them don't even know what that what happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if you say, yeah, remember when you know Microsoft was in court for antitrust, they're like, what? <laughs> you know, like they don't even know that part of the right. history. And yeah. to me, that's kind of amazing because for so much of Microsoft's um, form formulative years, that was a very key defining set of things going on with them. Uh, but yeah. now that's kind of ancient history. And I think as time goes by and the people change and the culture changes more that um, w I think we're going to see a pretty different company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How, how, just a bit of a tangent here for a second, but LinkedIn obviously came to, into the company quite recently. How mm -hmm. good do you think that cultural fit is? Has that been a smooth transition so far, do you think? Do you have a sense of kind of how that's going and, and whether the cultural changes at Microsoft have kind of made that easier or maybe even harder? I don't know. Mm. You know, it, it's interesting because uh, the deal with LinkedIn didn't actually close until the very end of last year. So yeah. a lot of people say, you know, they really couldn't have been doing a whole lot of integration with them before that point. But here we are, you know, six, seven months after that closing. And a lot of people are like, okay, so what did they get out of the LinkedIn deal, right? Like, it seems mm -hmm. like there hasn't been a lot of news. And it, and it even feels still like Microsoft and LinkedIn want the world to see LinkedIn as just this separate thing that's not deeply integrated into Microsoft. So, right. you know, even when Microsoft puts out a press release, they don't say Microsoft's LinkedIn, they say LinkedIn said blah, mm. you know? So yeah. I think they're being really, really careful to try to be hands off and let LinkedIn be LinkedIn. 
But they tried this with Skype too, and they tried to stay very hands-off with Skype when they bought them. And a lot of us don't think that was a very successful strategy because it's been hard to integrate Skype in with the other Microsoft products and strategies. And there are still a lot of problems with Skype that many of us who watch the company think could have been um, stemming from Microsoft's overly hands-off approach. Mm. So, you know, they Microsoft and LinkedIn have a very long laundry list of things they've promised to integrate. And it's pretty ambitious, especially on the office side of the house. They, they've promised to really deeply integrate LinkedIn um, with the Microsoft Graph. Uh, and we don't really know. We don't have a sense right now of how far along that, that work is. Right. And they haven't been very transparent in talking about that progress, have they? As much as no. they were transparent in talking about what the laundry list of stuff was up front, <laughs> they haven't really sort of shown us, you know, what's in the washer, what's in the dryer at this point, <laughs> I guess. It's true. And, you know, the one place they've talked about it a bit is what's going on with, with LinkedIn and Dynamics, which is mm. Microsoft's ERP and CRM products. They have been pretty upfront about where they're at with that. Um, they've talked a little bit about some of the training integration they've done um, with Microsoft's training assets and LinkedIn's assets, but we really don't have a sense at all of like things like how, how okay, how far along are you linking LinkedIn's database with Microsoft's databases? And mm -hmm. how far are you with actually having a single identity and authentication provider across both platforms? We don't really have any sense of that at all. Right, right, yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about that was sort of in the news in the last couple of weeks is this uh, consumer reports decision to uh, remove what had been a recommendation for two recent uh, Microsoft Surface hardware products. And the reason being that they had recently completed a survey of older uh, Surface products and, and users of those products and discovered that there was a very high uh, reliability or unreliability issue. So I think 25% mm -hmm. of people had seen some kind of hardware issues. And, and that was you know at the sort of bottom of the scale as far as their PC rankings for different vendors. And therefore, they were kind of pulling this recommendation for newer products that didn't necessarily share a lot of platform with those older products on mm. the basis of reliability of pre previous products. And there's been a lot of interesting reporting on the sort of background around this for the last couple of weeks and a lot of back and forth. It feels like this news cycle has kind of gone through several cycles <laughs> where things yeah. have swung one way, swung back the other way, and perhaps even swung back the other way again. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's your take on all of this? I mean, do, do you feel that what Consumer Reports did here was a reasonable thing to do? Do you feel like these... Surface products really have had hardware issues, and was it reasonable then to sort of apply the experience of those to these newer products? Um, so, uh, like you just mentioned, Consumer Reports was um, looking at data on machines released between 2014 and the first quarter of 2017 when they did their um, review. And the Microsoft Surface laptop, which was the main product affected by the negative rating didn't even come out until the summer of 2017. So it didn't come out till after all this data was collected. Um, there are some components that are similar across the older Surface um, tablets and PCs and this Surface laptop, but um, based on a leaked memo, which Paul Thorat has seen um, and he reported about, Microsoft's contention seems to be, yeah, you know, we were having a lot of problems when we first had some of these original surfaces and surface books coming out. Um, we, we admit 
a lot of people returned these devices, um, you know, up as high as 17% of people returning the Surface Book. Uh, but I'm not sure Consumer Reports made this distinction clear enough. Right. I think I think they needed to say, okay, we're pulling this because Microsoft had a lot of problems when Surface devices first came out, and we're not sure what is going to happen based on history with the ones that are coming out now. Instead, it came out as though they were pulling it because people had reported problems with the Surface laptop, which w w was not even part of the data that they collected. Right. So I think a lot of things got mushed together. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I'll, I'll say I don't ever tell people when they ask me what kind of Windows laptop to buy, I never recommend a Surface device. I actually don't really care for them myself. Okay. I've had a lot of lapability issues with the form factors, mm -hmm. including the Surface Book, which I find to be very tippy. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I'll say to people, if you really have your heart set on a Surface, yeah, go for it. But I think there are many better Windows laptops and Ultrabooks on the market, and the Surface wouldn't be my first choice. Right. Okay. Yeah. And did you, I mean, there was this whole story about Intel and Intel chips possibly being responsible for some of these issues. And mm. then that kind of, in Paul Thurrett's reporting in the last week or so, that sort of got challenged a little bit. And I think he's sort of walked some of that back a little bit too since mm. then. So kind of what's your take on the whole relationship between Microsoft and Intel around this and, and how much was possibly Intel's fault versus Microsoft's fault if we have to assign blame? I know, you know, this is hard because, um, we all were wondering what was going on with Skylake when Microsoft started walking back last year, how long they would support uh, machines running Windows 10 with Skylake processors. Like the, it got really wonky and none of us could really tell who was at fault at that point. Intel wouldn't say Microsoft was at fault. Microsoft wouldn't say Intel was at fault, but obviously there was some problem happening with Skylake devices and Windows. And we couldn't really get either side to say who whose problem it was a lot of us assumed i think that it was intel's problem and um i'm not i don't know if we assumed correctly but intel never corrected the record on that mm. as far as i know so whenever a company doesn't come out and, and you know say hey everybody's saying it's skylake but you should look at windows 10 right, right. and you should look at the drivers <laughs> so yeah. neither side ever really made it clear and I don't have any firsthand reporting to say it was Intel's fault or it was Microsoft's fault. I, I only know kind of what we were all um, kind of deducing based on what Microsoft was doing at the time. So mm. m for me, what I've heard from people who bought Surface devices is they've been having power issues. Like this is the main group of things that keep going wrong with Surface devices, like right. hibernation, synchronization, power issues, the hot bag issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of that seems to be connected with this Intel feature um, called connected standby. Right. So um, Microsoft still doesn't seem to have this licked, by the way. The newest Surface Pro devices that came out this summer after the consumer reports data was collected also had hibernation and synchronization issues. And people were saying they, these devices were shutting off by themselves while they were in the middle of doing work. Oh, goodness. Microsoft had to go and do a firmware fix, which they did, and they kind of snuck it out there and didn't make a big deal out of it. They, you know, every, every time this happens, they say, a small subset of users right. is having this problem, but we don't know how many that is, you mm -hmm. know? 
So I, f- I feel like they still haven't figured out the power thing. And um, that's concerning to me. Right, right. And do you feel like communication is part of the problem here, that Microsoft yes. perhaps not doing itself any favors by sort of downplaying the issues when there are some and then not really talking about the solutions when they finally have them either? Yes, I do think that's a problem. But I, I also would love to have some data saying how many people are affected. Because, you know, as a right. reporter, you hear from everybody who's affected, right? Like, mm-hmm. they, go, they go online, they do a search, they're like, oh, this person's written about surface power issues, so I'm going to send them an email and complain. So we hear uh, from a disproportionate number of people with these problems, I think. Right. But I don't have any way to tell, like... Is it 1% of the people who bought it or is it 10% or is it 20%? I don't really have any guidance at all. And mm-hmm. Microsoft's not giving us any guidance on background, um, on the record, nothing. So we don't really know right. how many people are having these issues. Um, we also don't know, like sometimes people will come out with issues and you're like, well, that's that's kind of like Windows laptops in general. That's not just like right. a surface yeah. issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to separate all this out and figure out who is at fault. But I, but my one thing I would say to Microsoft is I think the Windows team should be more transparent about when there's a problem, when there's a fix, and where the fix can be downloaded from. Because it feels like we're just kind of hunting and pecking and finding this stuff at best we can, you know? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, another topic I wanted to cover with you is I think one of the more interesting things outside of hardware that Microsoft's released in the whole Windows space is Windows 10S, the sort mm-hmm. of variant of Windows 10 that is, I don't know, to me it feels like it's designed to be like an iPad. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of very locked down version of the operating system. You can only install apps from the Windows uh, App Store mm-hmm. um, and it has various other sort of limitations on it and so on. And, and it was sort of released as part of a, a, an education-focused event uh, with some of the recent hardware that was announced as well. And yet, in some ways, it feels like it's perhaps the best fit for the enterprise, and yet that wasn't mm-hmm. really talked about at all. I mean, it's a great fit for employees who have very limited things they need to do using apps that can be downloaded from the app store and therefore you can kind of lock down their devices and uh, manage security risk and everything else associated with it. And yet the positioning was all about kind of education and so on. And that may have just been a coincidence of the event at which it was announced. But I kind of love to get your take on Windows 10S and whether you think this is a, a sort of a minor sort of peripheral thing for Microsoft or whether perhaps this is sort of the first sign that we might see a new approach to Windows for the enterprise or for certain specific scenarios? Um, I think it's fair to say that Windows 10S is aspirational for Microsoft. I think it's where they would like to see Windows go over time because they Mm -hmm. feel like it would give users a better experience in terms of security, you know, the old Windows rot that happens over time when things start to slow down. They're saying this won't happen if you're running Windows 10S. you know, everything happens through the store, so it's easier to find apps, update apps, keep them um, up to the most current releases if you use Windows 10S. I, I can tell you as a, um, I don't even know what we call this anymore, information worker is what we used to call it, as, right. as that is what my job is. I think I could live with Windows 10S as it is now. Um, there's a few things that are missing. Um, you know, I, right now Edge doesn't have some of the plugins that I would like the browser to have. And I am, I'm a definite Chrome user, but I feel like I could make Edge work if I needed to. And mm-hmm. I think there's a group of people who are like me out there who some may be in education, but I think to your point, a lot of them are in enterprises too. And 
they're, they're people who might be your shift workers, temporary workers, people who come in as consultants and you want to make sure they have a curated experience and they're not downloading a bunch of things that could put the company at risk. Um, so I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't think it's quite ready yet. And I think you're right. Microsoft sent a very mixed message by announcing this version of Windows 10 at an education event, but then putting this version of Windows 10 on the Surface laptop and saying, you know what, it's for businesses too, right? It's like right. that that Surface laptop is not a device aimed at Chromebooks, which I keep seeing people saying. Right. I mean, it's an yeah. expensive premium device. Yeah, it's multiple <laughs> times the price of a Chromebook yeah. or anything else, yeah. Yeah, and so to me, yeah, okay, it might be for higher education. You know, their pitch is it's for high school students going to college, and this could be your next device for the four years that you're in college. But if they're also, and they said this at their partner conference, which was after the introduction of the Surface laptop, they said, you know what, we see this as a big um, version of Windows 10 for businesses. Like they, yeah. they were telling their partners, go sell this to businesses, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they yeah. were saying other OEMs are going to be loading this on business devices. And it's not just going to be on, you know, kind of crappier, lower end devices. Right. So yeah. if that does happen, and if the store continues to evolve, and if drivers for things, you know, like class drivers for things like printers are all there, I think it could work for people. I do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it certainly seems like, as I say, a good fit for at least some sort of employees within businesses, certain sort of lines of business or certain yeah. types of work, sort of horizontal applications within a business environment and that kind of thing. Do you think part of the reticence of sort of talking publicly about the business fit is that they don't want businesses to freak out like this is going to be the only way to buy Windows soon and they won't be able to install and mm. use all their custom applications and so on? Maybe. You know, they, they gave businesses an out um by saying this calendar year, if you get a machine with Windows 10 S on it, you can upgrade to Windows 10 Pro for free if you decide right. 10 S doesn't work for you. Next year, if you want to do that, you can pay $40. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of people are wondering if Windows 10 S ultimately will replace Windows 10 Home um, right. as the entry level version of Windows that comes with your device for free. And if you need something more, you know, you could pay to upgrade to Pro or to Enterprise or to the new Windows 10 Pro for workstations, like you'll be able to come in with this base level SKU and then upgrade if, you know, by paying and unlocking a new license. So that's, right. that may be where they're going. They haven't said that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I think those are all the questions I had for you and we're kind of coming up to the half hour mark here and I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I'd love uh, for you to kind of give our listeners a sense of where they can find you. If they'd like to read what you write, if they'd like to listen to other podcasts or things that feature you regularly, uh, where can they find you? Okay. Uh, my main uh, blog these days is all about Microsoft.com. That's my ZDNet blog where I mostly write about enterprise topics for a Windows and Microsoft audience. Um, I also do a weekly podcast called Windows Weekly with Paul Therott and Leah Laporte. It's on the Twit Network, and you can download that from any podcasting app. Uh, and we always have a new a new set of things to talk about every week at length. So it's it's definitely a longer podcast, but we get into a lot of deep Microsoft topics. So that's also a place people can find me. And uh, I'm very active on Twitter, also at Mary Jo Foley. If you want to tweet to me, I will talk to you on Twitter. 
Okay, that's great. Well, we'll link to some of those in the show notes as well so that you guys can easily uh, find Mary Jo in those other places. But thank you very much again, Mary Jo. We really appreciate you coming on, sharing your uh, insights and expertise with us about Microsoft. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoyed the interview, as I said at the beginning. As I mentioned at the end of my conversation with Mary Jo, we'll have links to several of the things that Mary Jo mentioned at the end in the show notes so that you can know where to find Mary Jo on Twitter, on a website, or the Windows Weekly podcast. Um, As always, we appreciate it if you uh, leave a review or rating for the podcast on iTunes or other apps where you might be listening to it. That really helps other people to find the podcast. And I'll also remind you that this is one of two episodes that we do most weeks, including the other episode usually recorded on Fridays, which is our news roundup in which we take a handful of the week's big tech news items and discuss them in a bit more depth. And I'll also give you a quick plug for my other podcast, which is called the Tech Narratives Podcast, in which I do a daily roundup on weekdays of roughly 10 of the day's big tech news items, a much quicker roundup in that case, about a minute per item, but a great way to stay on top of what's happening in tech news today. That wraps things up for this episode. Thanks again to Mary Jo for joining us this week. Thank you to you for listening. And we'll be back later in the week with the news roundup episode and back next week with more episodes as well.